Greetings from London. This is Mariam Sharif and you're listening to the Star Moguls podcast. Today's episode is slightly different. We are talking about creative mentoring. And my next guest is a very dear friend of mine, he is a music producer, two decades of music experience. He's a he's been a resident DJ in Tokyo in Ibiza. He's also written music for big fashion houses. And um more recently decided to take his music in a different innovative style which we will talk about later so i'd love to introduce my next guest robert davy welcome robert thank you for having me you're right great i'm actually i'm amazing i'm great i'm great the last time we worked together was actually for my mad mentors uh, charity and you were mentoring one of the young creatives there in yeah. um in your studio So that's yep. the last time we actually kind of have actually worked together but um let's take it back regarding education so we're going to talk about how one becomes um a music producer how do we get into music and for the young people that are listening this is going to be an educational mentoring episode so rob how did you get into music Well I can tell you from the start without boring you um I've always loved music I yeah. was inspired to uh, write and create and listen to music because it was always in my home my father always played music every day I would be asleep to the to the sound of dulcet tones of mini ripperton or listen to music from Quincy Jones to Luther Vandross to level yeah. 4 to all types of music anyway so to cut a long story short Um, we don't want you to do that. <laughs> we want you to tell the story. <laughs> no, I love telling the story, Max. <laughs> I've had an interest in music since I was about, I'd say, about 13 years old. I had an uncle who played a played a piano in uh, various bands and played the bass and stuff and I thought right, so it's around in you so it's around your family, it's in the environment mm -hmm. that you definitely at least listening to music. um a few um family members were performers a few family members so just we got a, a big interest in music so i'd always go around to my uncle's house and listen to music around there maybe pick up his bass around 14 15 and get asked to told swiftly to put the bass down or learn how to read or write so the next step was whether i was going to be in school whether i was going to take up music as a a subject to read and write music or just enjoy music which i kind of do now yeah so did you did you go into so did you train no i didn't i didn't what i what i did when i left school i actually did what a lot of producers i know have actually done they went to or approached musical studios around london and asked to be an assistant now back in the day when you were an assistant in a in a recording studio you had to start from the very bottom that was making coffee cups of tea running errands going to the shops for a clientele and you'd sit in on the studio and you get the opportunity to to see how things work right okay Now, i got that opportunity at a studio in brixton at the age of 18 called the derry studios yes so i just approached them and i asked them i said look this is what i want to do i'm really interested i have no qualms about starting from whatever i'll do anything and they said yeah mark and mary said yeah you can come in you'll work from monday to friday uh you'll be here for nine o'clock sharp and you'll leave here when the artist leaves right yeah 
So it was a very, very good learning curve for me to actually get involved in music and see it, see the real nuts and bolts of how things work. From so the you really, uh, you were really observing and kind of soaking it all in at that yeah. time. Yeah, I'd sit sit in the studios. I'd make sure I was kind of seen, but not necessarily heard. Yeah. And there was an opportunity. My first opportunity. I was about nineteen, just after I started at the Adairi Studios, where I had to be tape op, and that is basically a tape machine where you, which is a huge responsibility. You have to record, stop and record vocals or whatever instruments are being recorded at the time. Right. Okay. Uh, that was for a band called Alabama. I think they're called Alabama 7, are they called Alabama 3? Anyway, um, so I did that, and that was my first kind of hands-on to actual studio equipment. So my day-in, day-out responsibilities from there on, from the age of 18, 19, was to be tape op. Um, we had bands like Stereophonics coming as well. We had Knitting Sony coming. Yeah, had- fantastic. And I would be there whether I'd be running to the shop to and from, getting cups of tea. I was gonna, just going to say that the young people can probably just Google those names. <laughs> they can. I know I'm, I'm slightly running through these artists quite quickly. No, no, uh, I was going to say because, you know, artists this um, during this time are very different. So we're talking about, you know, a good like 20 years back, aren't we? Yeah, at least. <laughs> at least without um, giving our ages away and stuff. Yeah. Information away about our age or yeah. maturity rather um but this this i find is probably the best way to have started in music because it's not necessarily handed to you on a plate things are analog whereas now things are digital yeah completely different um opportunity in learning uh uh, about music it's 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 really changed music has really changed through uh the last two decades definitely with um, the improvement of technology uh, equipment, um, you know, even uh, skill and talent, really. I think that's it's changed music in a completely different direction. It has, it has. It's the accelerability uh, of people being able, or for anyone basically being able to write music and actually put music out themselves, really. I mean, you know, you get certain purists that believe that there are certain things that aren't necessarily a good idea or there are certain quick ways of doing things, which for me personally, not being a purist as such, I don't believe that's how things should go. But for me, that's how it works. So your creative process is, so you started off with the studio, you did some work there, kind of learned the ropes. And then then how did you make that transition? Um, Because you're a resident DJ in um, Ibiza and in Tokyo. So how how did you jump from that to uh right to doing DJing do you know what it's it's a funny thing because I think most people they start music either enjoying it or they have different different ideas rather of how they want to create or what they want to do or what their next moves are it's quite a funny thing being in a recording studio you have lots of different artists coming in and out all the time so you you generally build relationships up and you meet various people kind of get various contacts without asking too much. Right, right. Okay, so that's a place for your kind of networking. Yeah, that is exactly it. And I kind of built up a, a reputation of, obviously working at the studio, you get some downtime. Yeah. So with downtime, you get to create your own ideas. And then you say, oh, by the way, this is me. This is what I do. Um, would you mind listening to either my demo or these ideas? It wasn't until really and truly, if I, if I can skip a few years just to get to that point, uh, yeah. until I was 23, 
when I started to change my kind of style as far as club music goes, because before I was making hip hop, I was making uh, trip hop back in the day. I don't think they have trip hop anymore. I'm not sure. (laughs) Young people (laughs) reference this. (laughs) Breaks kind of ideas because that was the, dare I say the word urban kind of sound at the time around the area, around Brixton and South London. Yeah, yeah. It was very much the vibe, wasn't it, that time? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So um, I wasn't really making club music as such, but I had an interest. So I kind of got into dance music, but only because I really like to experiment with sound and I didn't want to close myself in with one particular genre or one particular sound, because as far as I was concerned, the movement from hip-hop is where I started then onto trip hop was a completely different sound, then to breaks. So I suppose the next kind of move would possibly be into dance music. So this is just your own exploration and your own kind of, you know, you you kind of your own investigation into music, really. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, and I think as a producer, um, a lot of people got kind of tainted or kind of, they took on board those words like either selling out or doing this, or you can't do this because you do this track, or you can't do that because you're in this particular field. I think the most important thing is as a producer, producer rather, is to do exactly what you want. Yeah. And that's, that's and one of the... It shouldn't have any boundaries, really, shouldn't it? Because you should be able to appreciate all palettes of music, really. Definitely. And I think that's the same way I kind of live, live my life. You always be open to different things and always be open to being educated by different things and different voices and learning curves and all the rest of it. So I am um, about 23. I around 23, I did a remix for a band called Genocide 2. And they were working with uh, a group called Sons of Man, which is a uh, part of the Wu-Tang Clan. Right. Okay. So I did remixes for them. And then I also did some remixes for Tommy Boy. And that was my first house remix or club remix. That was for um, a young lady called Jocelyn Enriquez. So that was on the uh, um, Latin American part of Tommy Boy in America. Right. Why? Fantastic. Yeah. Then I got um, a remix for De La Soul. And that was oh, a yeah. track called Doggy Dog Competition. Now that was only used on a promo basis, but it was still a kind of way in through that kind of door. <clears throat> anyway, um, I was introduced. I've just seen that, you know, you just talked about like how music can be used in so many different forms. So like yeah. one could be promo, one could be a remix. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not just producing from start to, to finish. There's so many different kind of layers, isn't it? Like you've just said, there's, you've just done a promo for one thing and then you've done a remix for another track. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's so many, there's a variety of uh, scope in that, isn't it? There is, there really is. And I think music is has a way of doing so many things and it's used in so many different types of mediums as well. And which is a funny thing without tailing off, which is why it can be quite frustrating when you, you listen to people or, you, or people don't want to buy or respect music because it's in so many people's lives in so many different ways. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You turn the TV on, there's music on certain entertainment programs like every five seconds, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Sometimes I think you're you're not really trained your ears to listen to music uh, as um, as music and lyrics separately. I think people have, it's just, you know, it's kind of mixed in and mashed up. It's, do you understand, like there's, there's vocals there's instruments, there's mixing, there's sound. There's so many elements into a track, isn't there? Oh, definitely, definitely. And 
you know, it's, it's, it's pretty infinite how music can be used and how music can be understood and translated as well to the individual. There's so many different types of music that are context-based as well. Particularly like uh, club tracks are generally made for sonically for a club sound. Right, they yeah. have lots of lyrics in there. They could have uh, a, a sounds which kind of... So you're really tailoring music to a certain audience. So when you started doing more with the club music, that yeah. was a different. So, so less lyrics and more... Yeah, well, it's funny. It's funny that because my musical partner who I work with, who I've been working with since uh, about 20 odd years. Yes, you're part he, of Mutiny, right? Yeah, part of Mutiny. He was working with a guy called uh, Simon Ratcliffe, who's um, one half of Basement Jacks. Yeah. Um, and we share the studio with them. <clears throat> so um, our first release was actually 1996, dare I say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I released lots of records before that, but this was my first club record. Right, okay. Six, and um, it's a track called Secrets. And now that was an, uh, a white label. I think we pressed up about 500 copies just to keep it kind of um, exclusive. Right, uh, okay. We, was, we stamped it with our own stamp on Sunflower Records, our own record label, Sunflower, and just to create a buzz. And then this was a massive underground success. Now, this, we're an independent label. So once the major labels had, had heard of this track, Secrets, right. from the, that's when they gained interest. So we continued to write music without thinking about um, an album as such. But right. we, loved, we realized we both love songs. And we didn't necessarily want to just do club records with a big thumping beat. Yeah. And sentimental sounds flowing around. We'd love to work with singers. We love to write songs about life, about love, about experience, and about things, everyday things we do, but with a little bit of a quirky edge to it. So every track we actually did on our first album, which is called In The Now, contains all contains songs. Whether the background is fitting in a club kind of fashion, fall to the floor, or whether it has lots of weird sounds coming in and out. So... Our first album, yeah, signed in two thousand to Virgin, and that was off the back of our first single, which we did uh, an underground release in nineteen ninety six called uh, Secrets. Yeah, so it took about four years from major label to really get really get interested in us. Yeah, so, so it, it takes time, right? So not, time to be discovered. I mean. You don't have the aspect of social media where you can be found so easily, and you know, you know, there's so many avenues of of um, of uh, of self promotion. And in those days, you know, how did you promote yourself? Well, that was it. We 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 printed up some records, <laughs> and yeah. um, we went around to different DJs, played in clubs, gave right. them vinyl, handed it to their hands, or they, we used the promotion company, paid them lots of money to. <laughs> To so it's really record. kind of geographically you're gra- grounded to one locality, like so, like within the UK, I would say. No, well, not necessarily. I mean, okay, 1996, we, we did a record called, uh, we did the Secrets record. In 1998, uh, Dylan, he went to Miami. He went to WMC, which is a winter music conference. It's around March in Miami with lots of vinyl. Tracks I've done on my own, tracks I've done with him. And that's basically a conference which was meetings of all different types of musos from around the world connected with dance music. And they'd all meet in Miami and there'd be parties up and down um, the, the strip. Okay, sounds fantastic. 
And, but I'd never been to Miami, so I didn't actually go at that point. I'd even never even heard of Miami. Winter, right. winter it was a different world to me. So that's what gained the interest from other DJs. And plus, right. we've had lots of records in different shops around the world, different record shops physically. What I'm saying is that to promote oneself, like, you know, um, besides going out of the country, what I'm saying is that using just your local network or your your local, you know, um, friends or um, other music producers, that was mainly your network. Whereas now it's been elevated with this, the fact of like you can use social media and there's so many different mediums of expression. There are, there are. And I actually think, I mean, a lot of people say oh, they think it's a lot easier to release music now and all the rest of it and things are, you know, quicker and all the rest of it. But I actually think there's a bit of a balance. I actually think it was a lot easier back then. Number one, there weren't as many people doing it. Number two, yeah. there was a cool product which people could look at, touch and get hold of. There was a bit more of a hunger. There was, it was a bit more of an exclusive kind of, not that I think it should, it should be exclusive, but it was a bit more of an area where people were excited about one record that so many people had heard yeah wasn't so much music around so there was a lot more of an excitement a lot more of a build and you'd, you'd make a record you'd hold it back you'd maybe give say i don't know eric marilla was in town at ministry in london you'd give him a copy he'd play it over in spain he'd play it in italy playing in russia then people would talk oh, about i see i see yeah. right it's okay really really it would be an, an amazing time now there's like 30,000 records every single day on beatport or spotify that's right i mean it's kind of saturated isn't it really who do you listen to i actually wish there was an, a, a stronger word for there is a stronger word for saturated but it really really is and it's to the point of where it's you kind of you lose that excitement yeah of a, a big record because a big record is generally not necessarily a big record spoken by, by people but it's spoken up about by people who have money to push into their social yeah network. i see doesn't necessarily mean it's good <laughs> it means it's popular by figures yeah absolutely let's go back to you so how does that how is the experience of being a resident dj in like kind of tokyo i mean that's such a different culture um you know what kind of music do they like over there and obviously they appreciated your music but how was how was it from going from like london right (laughs) going from brixton going all the way to tokyo well, it was an amazing experience, actually, because our first album was 2001. I didn't actually get to Tokyo. We didn't get to Tokyo until 2003 or four. That was oh, sorry. Our... So should we go back to Ibiza first then? Did you do that first? The first album, 2001, we had a, an album launch in Miami, March 2001. Okay. We had a yacht. Why uh, wasn't I invited? <laughs> you know what? So many people were. Where was I? Where was I? <laughs> <laughs> it was, do you know what? It was a, a completely new experience for me. Yeah. I had no idea what to expect. I didn't know who the DJs were, who the, you know, the biggest records were, who those people were, because dance music was a slightly different area that I was used to. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So anyway, so we, we got signed. We got to Miami. We decided we were going to do this boat party. It was going to call Mutiny on the, Bo- on the Bounty. So we hired this yacht, which, you know, you sign to a, make- a major record label. People get really excited. They're like, oh, you're doing all these things, but you have to remember it's coming out of your budget. It's okay. your, your recoupable money. So anyway, we hired this uh, boat, and there was a, a PR lady involved. She got everyone in 
who were the biggest names in dance music. I'm talking about, um, I think there was a member from Daft Punk there, from the Jacks, to Marillos, to Sanchez, to Carl Cox, to Norman Cook. You named the biggest. Wow or in dance music were on this yacht or fighting to get on this yacht. I had no idea who these people were. <laughs> okay. I was with my partner at the time. So we had to play. Um, we went off. We came back. Um, the police were called because obviously there's a lot of Brits on this boat. Yeah. Okay, they're in Miami. They're doing this thing and people are getting a little bit too excited. So we had to turn the yacht back. Um and we jumped off and it, it created a massive buzz. They were like, who's, who's Mutiny? They're just right. shots. They're, uh, they're cracking 20, 30 grand marble tables. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's one of those things that I'm not aware of. Was it, never, it seems like it's totally surreal, like a completely different world, right? Completely different world. I've never thrown a TV out of a hotel window. <laughs> oh my God. So it's such a cliche. Musicians. I mean, all these things that happened... Uh, we had to pay for everything. We didn't break anything. Pay for that TV? Uh, <laughs> possibly. It possibly came out of the budget. But what happened after that buzz is was we got front cover of NME magazine. And okay. NME, you doesn't put dance artists on their front cover. Right. Indie music and rock artists. So this is more buzz that's being created. And we've only released one single, mind. Oh, sorry. The first single wasn't out on Virgin. It was the first track was Secrets that we'd released in 1996. Right. Un- Secrets is doing really well, huh? Secrets is still being held back and not even being released yet in 2001. So, so this created more of a buzz. So we were playing all the parties up in Miami and all the rest of it. Anyway, so we did Virgin. We toured the globe, blah, 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 off that first album, promoted it all in most of the major countries, um, Ibiza, where we were Pasha res- residents at Ibiza. And from Russia to, to Australia. Then we came back in 2003. So, of course, you've got to write more material. Yeah. If you, you don't write music, then you're just your first album. Right, okay. So, um, after we left Virgin from that first album, which we just licensed to them, there's an artist called Darren Emerson. Um, he's from a band called um, Underworld. Right, okay. Uh, people will probably have heard of Underworld Big, big track they did was Born Slippy. Anyway, we became good friends with Darren Emerson because he liked our first album. We were in Miami with him at a party. We, had, we created a track um, called Yourself, which was now 2000, actually it's 2004. We played in that track. He wanted to sign it straight away. So once he signed that track, he had dealings with Japan because right. he used okay. Japan well. So once he... He signed it. He's out in Japan playing the track that he signed called Yourself. That's the track, track and title. So people now want to know about Mutiny. Oh, I see. Yeah, off the back of that first record, of that um, Yourself record, a, a DJ agent by the name of ITB is now interested in us because they're seeing, okay, these people, they're signed to, they were signed to Virgin. Now there's interest from Japan as well, from Asia. Brilliant. I bet that was quite um exciting it's a different completely i mean like asia is completely different right it's a completely different ball game because we went from uh, basically getting a lot of gigs from through virgin and world of mouth to now being taken seriously by a world-renowned booking agency called itb wow so um our first actually our first gig in japan sasha was playing at a club called womb okay. something happened where he couldn't play 
So our agent said, right, we've got these guys. They're called Mutiny. Room said, okay, we've heard of them. Yes, we want them. Oh, fantastic. So they already knew you. They already heard of us from, through Darren Emerson and through the yeah, first album. Yeah. Our first album, we've actually got a Japanese version of our first album as well. Wow. So anyway, so we did a booking on Sasha's night at Womb. There's about three and a half thousand people in Womb, and most amazing club in, in Tokyo. We play the party. We have we go semi-live. Dylan brings his guitar. We bring a keyboard. We have four CDJs, two two mixers. So we're both playing at the same time and then putting in sound. So it's more of a live kind of thing as opposed to oh, just nice. your heads down looking at <laughs> turntables. Anyway, so we smash this club. They go crazy. We go back to London. They get good reports. So now Darren Emerson, who signed our first record, says, right, right are you guys going to write an album? So we okay. said, yeah, we'll write an album. We'd finished this album. We called the album Yadda Yadda. Okay. So second album. Little did we know, Yadda Yadda means no, no in Japanese. Oh, okay. So... A Japanese label by the name of Beat Inc. Mm. decides to, to license this album through. Is Darren no no a good thing or a bad thing? And because culturally you don't know what what is a good thing or a bad thing. Because no no is a negative, right? Is that a good thing over there? Is it? <laughs> how did that go down? Because we've actually included them without knowing where they're included. Oh, I see. I see. So you technically have just like subconsciously in, in, involved their vocabulary. We have, exactly. And it was almost, it's just something I used to say, like, yada, yada. People say yada, yada all the time, don't they? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because we just couldn't think of a name for the second album. <laughs> yeah, you say that a lot, actually. You used to say it a lot. Yeah, somebody called it yada, yada. So anyway, Beat Inc. signs us, and we start, they wanted to do a promotional tour of our first, second, our second album, which is Underwater's first album signing, to their Japanese label called Beat Inc. So we have to do a, a promo tour of Japan. Nice. So, around Japan, touring, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I remember and, when you were in Japan a lot, actually, when you were doing your touring. So we called our, our party. After doing the tour, we just, the room in Tokyo decided to give us our own residency. So they said, okay, you can do your own party every two or three months at Womb. This is your party, your show, whatever you want. So we called it Yada Yada. Oh, so nice. doing Yada Yada nights in Tokyo, um, which was... Oh, I can't tell you this. The thing about I Japan, haven't been, so I really want to go to Tokyo. It's on, it's on my list. It was on my list this year, but unfortunately, I have to go next year now. It is is one of the meccas for dance music culture. Well, I'm not really into dance music, but I I still I appreciate music and I love the culture. I love the traditions. You know, I just love the Japanese culture. It is so far, I think it's so far from removed, removed rather, from so many different places on the planet. I think everybody should go there. Yeah. Just to engage in the culture, to engage in somewhere which is... How does that... How, sorry. Just engage in something completely different. Yeah. How does that change you as a musician, kind of from going from Brixton to Ibiza, Miami, and, you know, and Tokyo? How does one change as a musician... Does, what were you, what did you feel like internally or externally? Well, I, I tell you and what. How I, did it influence your music? It influenced. Well, number one, it gave me. Um, I mean, even after having the first signing to to Virgin, I I think I still wasn't kind of complete or really didn't take myself. I was s- serious about what I do. Yeah. 
but I didn't really take on board, right, okay, I mean, I'm only 26, mind, at that, at that time. Yeah. So I'm like, well, okay, I'm pretty relaxed about the whole thing. I'm still taking in things. I'm still learning. I'm still learning about production techniques. I'm still learning about different types of music. But I, but I still don't necessarily want to stick into that almost blinded kind of blinkered thing of just writing house music to a certain formula. Yeah. So it, it, going to Japan was just like the biggest thing ever. It was yeah. such a such an achievement, such a kind of, I'm like, that's it now. I've been to Japan. I, I don't really care anymore. <laughs> you know, I've kind of done it now. I've made it. Because if you're going to go to somewhere that's so far flung, yeah, be appreciated by people to the point of where they're screaming when you, you get to the club, where you're signing people's T-shirts, signing people's rings, signing people's hands. I won't tell you the rest. And <laughs> it's just... It's it's such a I don't know an overwhelming but yeah the real kind of stardom isn't it celebrity stardom it is it is but fortunately I've got a I've got a really great um, group of a really great family and group of friends who keep you very grounded which yes is great. we keep you grounded exactly very very important and you are I'm no more important than the music that I'm making yeah. or the people that buy that music or support what I'm doing. So that's one of the things that I've always kept in my head. You know, yeah. I can be at the most amazing place like Iceland and playing there. And then you kind of pick, you close your eyes and you can pinch yourself and you're like, you know what? I'm extremely lucky. I'm making music. Then I'm going somewhere just to play my music and others' music. I'm getting paid for it. And that's one, I think it's one of the biggest dreams of people being able to work in something they do and enjoy. Exactly. Your passion, like getting paid for your passion and then enjoying what you do and everybody else appreciating it. Then that's like the ultimate happiness and success formula. Oh, definitely, definitely. And it's so it's so humbling as well. So I'll tell you what I what I got exact what exactly what I got out of Japan was being extremely humble. Right. Yeah. It made more humble to everything and more appreciative of my, what my parents have possibly done in order of what my friends and family have done. Cause this isn't just something that I've done on my own. This is a collective thing. Yeah. You know, there's times when people have been patient mm. and people have given me advice or people have allowed me to do certain things because they could see that I was either passionate about something or I was driven about something or, but I was the real thing. I was the real deal. This is what I was meant to be. It's one of those cliches that people say, Oh, I'm, I'm born to do music. But you may be born to do music, but you also, you have to work at it. You have to work, you have to work at doing what you're doing. And yeah. I said before, it's an, it, is, it is a group effort, me being here and doing this. And I'm so fortunate that I'm still being able to do it and move on to different types of music as well. But still being able to live and breathe music every single day. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. I love hearing that. I want to talk, I'm going to take you back again because I'm really fascinated about how you kind of produced music for some of the big um, fashion houses like Deacon Y and Alexandra Wang. Like, how did you do that? How did that involve? Like, how oh, did it go forward to that? Thing, actually, because I've got, um, I work for a musical director who lives in New York. Right. He just happens to be an old friend of mine. Um, and he was always been part of the fashion industry. One of his, I think his partner was, his girlfriend was a, a model and he'd go to certain parties and he would be in a different world than me. And it wasn't something that interests me whatsoever. 
I love fashion. I love what it does. I love the ex- what it does for people. Yeah. And it's, there's always been a connection with fashion and music. Definitely. Evolving. They, they generally evolve together. Because it's, a, it's evoking emotion and feeling. And, and that's what it is, isn't it? Music and fashion, they're, they're combined where you've got movement, you've got emotion, that feeling that comes alive. Oh, definitely, definitely. And it does so much for you, the individual. It's such a personal thing. I mean, food does amazing things, but there's something about music and fashion that just, it's, it's a family. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so, yeah, so this gentleman, his name's Chris Bones. He lives in New York. He's still there. He was working for uh, DKNY doing their actual fashion shows. Right, okay. But, that's a different area as well. People probably wouldn't even know that. That you know, there's so many elements and so many different um, spaces for for music and creativity. Like that's a completely different arena. Yeah, it's it's part of everything. I mean, you need music and sound to sell various things. You need yeah. to create. You know, there's there's a, there's yeah. A, you so, need it for the ramp. You need it for the catwalks. Yeah, you need it for the cat. There's a certain amount of psychology that goes into music and sales. You know, it's exactly the same in shops. If you go to a supermarket, if you go to a clothing um, store, you go to... Um, uh, a I read a quite um, a interesting fact. So they're talking about shopping and music. That um, So this, um, I can't remember what the retail store is, but uh, it's a clothing store. And they had played classical music yeah. to, uh, to, their, um, to their buyers. And actually, they increased the, the sales. It does, I tell you, I tell you a funny story about that. The music psychology is a different arena completely. There's a lot of science into it, and a lot of companies probably they probably spend millions when it comes to these kind of things, whether it's uh, placement or music. It's it's all combined. Wow. But, uh, I was at the South Bank. I'll come back. I was at the South Bank, and uh, there was a store there selling jewelry um, and everything else. Mm. All these guys playing drums. It was an African um, event. As soon as people heard the drums, when the drums came on, it was like all the stalls that were started selling more products. Yeah, some, yeah. I don't know if, if it's the drums created that because people were quiet. They were somber. But then the guys would come on with the drums and then people were like, I need to buy. I need to, <laughs> I need to spend someone's money. <laughs> but I, I saw this unfold before my very eyes. and it was. But yeah, so, so going back to the, the fashion, um, so Chris Bones, he was doing lots of stuff and he was getting lots and lots and lots of work from different fashion houses to playing at different parties throughout New York Fashion Week throughout the day from different venues. But then they were asked... During the actual fashion show, you have a certain type of music you can play at the event. Yeah. At, on the internet uh, streaming, you have to have different music playing because generally it's, they're not licensed because they have to pay for that. Right, okay. So what I would, my, my job was, I would either make music for the runway show or just for the internet show. Mm, so the internet so, production. The internet productions. So what I would do, we'd either write music together because they generally would like sound alikes now that the fashion industry is quite different the fashion industry when it comes to music there's a lot of people that do fashion they deal with fashion and that's it they would generally yeah. the impossible if you can you take david bowie but take his voice off the track and then mix it with this and then make it sound like this but then you've obviously you can't say no yeah so what you my job and what our job was sometimes was making lots of sound alike music for the fashion shows so they could play the whole show and they wouldn't have get into any kind of trouble with licensing 
from playing other people's so music. So to kind of add the flavor of, uh, of Bowie, but not use his lyrics. Not, yes, yeah, exactly. Not encroach on any kind of yeah. sound sampling or anything like that because that's an illegal thing yeah for about six years um we worked alongside i worked alongside chris work, um, writing music for dky shows for uh Proud Magal shows for quite a few brands betsy johnson um do you know there are so many brands that's amazing that is so cool that is amazing so people that are listening you know, see, this is another um, aspect of of music production that you know one can get into. It is, it is, and it's and it's funny. A lot of superstar DJs in the dance world used to DJ for a lot of companies, a lot of fashion houses, and they were charging an extortionate amount of money. Yeah, because you do you because uh, even with we like you said with fashion and fashion shows, they usually you normally have a DJ that is playing live music for their amp. Yeah, they do, they do, they do. But in times of change, when it's like, okay, we need to have this look now. I mean, fashion changes through the seasons, as you know. Wherever you've got your fall, you've got your winters, you've got your springs. Yeah. It's, it's all, it's completely gold. So things change. So throughout the year, there'll be different fashion shows and be different things we've got to write for. So I went for about five, six years. So your music change for every season? Yeah, it changes for every season. Whatever the client wants. Yeah, kind of create that mood, right? You've got to create that mood and that atmosphere of the and represent those clothing lines. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Summary, whether it's winter, whether it's industrial sound, whether it's something that was minimal, whether you wanted to add to the actual clothing or you wanted to lay in the background, you had to you had to really think about this, and you really think had about to all of those elements, really, isn't it? It's such a it's quite technical, but like incorporating music and production for for that, that's. That's quite, and uh, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, and do you know what? It's one of those things, when something comes natural to you, you don't really realize, but you still can't sell yourself short. Yeah. You've still got to say, well, I'm doing this. I've been asked to do this because I can do, the, I can do that better than someone else or in a way that someone else can't do it. Yeah. You know? But yeah, that was, that was an exciting thing. And then we got asked, um, one of our last comp- campaigns was, not last year, year before, was for Alexander Wang and Pepsi. That's amazing. He wanted some music to go with, which was the music for the opening just before their actual catwalk shows. I think that was throughout the year when Pepsi, there was a special um, Alexander Wang Pepsi can. Oh, right. Yeah. But I think that was just in Asia. Right. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. Because you know what? Different audience, uh, and there's different audience buying, isn't it? So in South Asian, uh, you know, Western audience is completely different completely different so you've got to kind of like it said i love the fact that you've actually incorporated the psychology of it it's the music psychology that people don't even realize that there is and then to tailor make from the instruments to the lyrics to the sound and the mood to create each aspect and you know um for each project is different very much so very much so and you, you can't necessarily go from one house to another house and have a similar sound or even one particular sound that has been from the previous job you've got to do th- things complete everyone has to be made to seem special because they are yeah. special absolutely it's, 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 it's a unique project isn't it absolutely so what's your kind of creative process so you've got like a project that you've got to do like walk us through for a young person that is kind of looking to do a project and they're, they're kind of, you know, because when it comes to being creative, sometimes we're everywhere and it's nice to have a little system in place. What would you say there's a couple of steps that you do maybe before, during and after, like, you know, 
beginning, middle and end for each project? What's your kind of creative process like? It's, do you know what? It's, it's all context-based. I wish I could just like explain um, to you like in ingredients form. <laughs> yeah. So I can make it as layman as possible when it comes to how I write music. I generally, I'm inspired visually. Mm. If I'm writing for mm. a client, then obviously you'll have a brief and you have to stick within those perimeters. Right. But if I'm writing music, say, for myself as an artist, I've actually got seven different projects I'm doing at the moment. Wow. So there's Rob Davey, there's Mutiny, yeah. My Oh My, there's mm-hmm. called It Hurts, there's a project called Sleepin', mm-hmm. um, Silent Nights, oh, yeah. Night Moods, and there's another project I'm working on with someone else, but we haven't actually got the name as yet. Yeah. So I've got different hats on for all those different things. <clears throat> Yeah. So there's there's different processes to those, but I think so like as a as a general, what do you do when you've got a, a project that is uh, that's come to you, like in an, an a general system that you use to do? The general system for me is is to start and finish. Now, in the beginning, what I generally do is I'll get an idea of or I'll get a picture. Yeah. I like to visualize what this track is. I like to create a story, especially if there right. are right. Okay. You know, okay. Like I've got a track um, which was in space called Eau Glacé, which is basically translates to uh, ice cold water. And that was inspired by my trip to Ivory Coast. Okay. Um, I was going into one of the towns one day and I saw young children selling water by the roadside. Mm-hmm. And so I created this, this picture in my head of this young boy or girl and how their day would begin. Right. I incorporated different sounds. Like in the beginning, there's there may be uh, marimba sounds knocking on, which knocking against um, uh, metal bars to create that sound of this child walking past bars and seeing these kids playing, and that's what they want to do instead of going out and them having to work. Yeah, and add a sound of uh, car engines, and then I'll think about what sound connects to what that person is doing throughout that their day or that story. Right. Oh, they, you, I think you. So real I storytelling. I yeah, I look at my tracks as storytelling. Exactly, I, I look at my tracks that, that way. You can get in a beginning and an end because sometimes yeah. the thing and the hardest thing for people to do is actually finish a record. And I, I can tell you from now, you are, you will probably never be a hundred and ten percent happy with anything you do. Yeah. <laughs> Then that's just a creative mind because you were looking for perfection. And when you're creative, I mean, sometimes I'm just you know, they're doing a project for someone for styling and um, you, you, can, you know that you can improve it again and again, but that you, because creativity never ends. That's what it is. Infinite. It's, it's absolutely yeah. infinite. I think the biggest discipline is to actually start something and put it down and move on. Yes. That's such a great point. Excellent point, Rob. And be, just be, and be open to, one of the biggest things you have to be is open to criticism. But what you, what you also have to understand is opinion isn't fact. Yeah. It's a, it's a big difference. And, you know, you aren't going to be for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just, that's, that's how it works. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky with the fact that I, I create music because I love and enjoy doing it, so I've still got that passion. The fact that I can make a living from it is a bonus. Yeah. Or I yeah. think you get that out, get that out the window. Forget that straight away write music for you be creative that's how we can create more sounds more genres more be more experimental and get more people interested in you by being you you alone (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, yeah. So I was going to ask you, so when you have a doubt or you're stumbling on some difficulty, like what do you do when, when, when you've got a challenge? Put it down. Put it down. Step away. Move away from the canvas and perhaps come back to it when you're maybe fresh in the head and you're not muddled and you're not thinking or you can't see the finishing line. Or right. you can't finishing line and but there's all these other factors involved because you yeah. need to have a clear head on what you're doing personally you need to have but a clear head yes really really like step away from i mean there's a track i'm working on at the moment for one of my things i could have finished it yesterday but then i thought you know what there's things i need to do i'm going to step away from that and i'm going to come back to it on monday or tuesday good yeah and find the ending that i want you know, and maybe I'll take out that car chase. Maybe I'll take out that scene where someone is doing this or doing that. Yeah. And I'll just get to the end and it will flow. You have to have flow. Right. Okay. So good advice. So step away from it and come back to it when you're fresh and um, a little bit more clear. Yeah. Yeah. So, That's yeah. really good. So what, what's your inspiration? Like where, where do you get your kind of style uh, of music and and you know music inspiration what inspires a creative like yourself for me it's a it's a day-to-day things it's definitely a visual thing yeah with, uh, i could have watched a film or something and I, I may have heard some music in that film and or something may have happened to me in that day but it's definitely an outside and environment thing i definitely create via my environment yeah and, inspires me but with, yeah, definitely other artists not because I aspire to be exactly like them yeah but they can evoke something in me to make me go oh I really like that I'd quite like to push my sound to those boundaries as well yeah yeah absolutely absolutely you can learn from from uh, your fellow creatives as well it's not oh. just you know their 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 experience and their uh, areas of work are completely different and you have to kind of I think jump into uh, different um, uh, areas or unknown areas because otherwise you won't be able to be more creative you you know you've got to go to the unknown haven't you my cousins used to be big on rock so I've listened to anything from the Eagles and Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath I can go straight from that to Indian classical with my with my uncles to the Bollywoods and, you know, I like, you know, obviously funk and soul. So, you know, you have to appreciate and you have to kind of force yourself to do things that aren't the norm for you, for you to order to be more creative. Do you not think so? Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I'm always learning, especially with, I was having a discussion with a gentleman I'm working with at the moment. Yeah. And we were talking, someone I've met many, many years ago, and we were talking about how you advance with the, the, the youth of today musically yeah. and it's about trying to be who they are but it's using your experience of what you can do but perhaps updating the technology that you have but adding your own touch and out your own flavor to it yeah your own signature your own signature you, i think you have to you have to allow yourself to be open to the way things are changing but just add your own little flavor to it yeah, I know, because you you were one of my, I just wanted to remind everybody. So basically, Rob and I, um, I had a charity for young people. So I would help young creatives get into the areas of media, art and design. Hence, it was called Mad Mentors. And Rob very kindly, I kind of bullied him and actually took yeah. mentor one of my young creatives who was a uh, British Moroccan rapper, singer, 
and uh, and he took her on and you did some work at the studio with her and you know kind of mentored her which yeah. I really appreciate you know until now she she's in, in contact with me and appreciates that kind of um, that experience and um what advice would you give to you know young people these days uh, wanting to get into the music industry i would definitely say um forget all the flashing lights forget all you know the the, the teletubby music type thing just be yourself you are a creator you are an individual at some point you are going to be heard for being you there is a system yeah. in place where it's a machine you know, all the, big, all the big cats, they write music. You, you have a PR company, you have this, you have that. There's certain, certain steps. Forget that. Don't worry about, okay, am I going to get a million followers? Are oh, there people going to like this? Am I going to make this type of money? Will I be able to buy a Benz? You know, I really yeah, expect- There's so much pressure, isn't it? People are just, the young people nowadays, I and mean, thank God we didn't have like, you know, Facebooks and cameras and social media. And, that. and I kind of sometimes think it's a blessing because you just concentrated on who you were and who you wanted to be. And so you weren't, the peer pressure that young people face now is like, okay, wh- what will they say? Or what will that do? Or how, what, how is that? So it's all about other people's opinion, isn't it? Right now. And that will influence their sound, which will, un- unfortunately, that will kind of subdue their creative juices flowing. And they'll, mm-hmm. they'll just assimilate somebody else because that's what they think is the biggest thing for them to do or that's the sound that they need to create or that's who they need to be when you don't. You just really need to be yourself. And that's why you'll get your fans and you'll get those loyal people that will buy into you. And yeah. listen, it could be 10 people. You may get 20 downloads a month. Yeah. Those are people that have taken their time and listen to your three and a half minute record or your seven minute record your, or your 10 minute self-indulgent record. <laughs> you've got to make music for yourself first got to make music for yourself and then people people come they will they will they will be involved you know yeah and how is the best way to start off then like what what kind of tools or uh techniques what do they need to start off with what would you say well now i mean myself okay i'm not classic i'm not a classically trained musician yeah i'm not a live player i will pick up any instrument and i'll get what i need to get out of it but then I'll also, I need certain things I'll ask other artists. I would definitely say, if you can try to learn an instrument, that would be a really good thing. Because okay. it can help you translate what's going on in your head and actually put it down and actually get some instant gratification from it. Ah, interesting. So that would be a really, really good idea. And most kids now, they've got a laptop and they've got some kind of sequence program because it's a lot cheaper than it used to be. Yeah. If you do, ha- you can get a sequence of program and you could just start, just start playing, just start playing around, maybe listening to something. You can start by copying something. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But I would definitely encourage more youngsters to pick up an instrument or okay. really, because that's a discipline. Mm. Once you get discipline in, in, involved in, and installed into you, it can help you throughout whatever it is you're doing. And I guess it kind of um, it kind of educates you on tones and sorry notes and uh, how to read music, how to create music, and that's a process in itself, isn't it? So yeah, definitely, I mean, yeah, the main th- the main thing is the frustration um, point. It's like getting that biting point when you're driving. It's like you 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 need to go through. I think I think anyway, you need to go through these different things to appreciate and getting gratification v- uh, via an instrument is the instant sound is great. Yeah, because boundaries te- te- um, technolog- technology wise, 
to actually hold you back from learning new programs, learning new techniques, you'll just get frustrated and then you may not necessarily do those things or do it as well. But I just think more people need to learn how to use an instrument. I think we need to go backwards to move forwards now. Yes, you're so right. It's so right. And I think also... And if we can't do something, you know, try again. And like you said, or leave it for a few days, go back to it. Or if it doesn't work, then do something else. Pick up another instrument, you know. Draw over it. It's not, it's not pain. Even if you did paint something, let it dry and just paint over it. Yeah, that's good advice. Excellent. So um, really kind of uh, understand an instrument, start playing and, um, and just start. Just start doing. Doing, is the, doing and taking action is probably the most important, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. And just, just listen to, be, be an individual as well, you know, really. And be, most people I know who are producers are control freaks, without yeah. doubt. Now, you've got to be open, obviously, because if you're working with other people, it's not necessarily what you say goes. But you've got to be happy being you. You really, that's, you really, really need to be doing that. And once you put something down and you start hearing things work and you start hearing a sound, you'll get so much gratification from it. Yeah, that's such good advice. Well, who's your, who's your uh, inspiration then? Who's been your source of inspiration? I've been lucky enough because I grew up in a house full of music. I was always hearing um, artists like Quincy Jones, Barry White's, yeah. uh, people like Steely Dan, believe it or not, and Michael Jackson. Um, but then I also um, love a lot of hip-hop producers like DJ Premier who used yeah. to be Gangstar Guru. Um, Hank Shockley produced Public Enemy. Q-Tip, who produced a tribe called Quest Music stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, RZA, who produced the Wu-Tang stuff across the board when it comes to that kind of music as well. Mm-hmm. Nelly Hooper, who's produced anyone from Janet Jackson to No Doubt. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot different genre of, of music. And that's another bit of advice as well for artists, for young people, I think, as well. If you can see a track... Maybe if you've got a physical, I don't know, a CD, or if you're just looking at an MP3, look through the, the, the credits, see who the producer is, or see who the engineer is, do a bit of research. Mm. So, yeah, start doing some research, kind of uh, start um, finding out more about who's behind the track. Yeah, yeah, because it's, I mean, a lot of people don't realize that it can take a lot of people, lots of different ingredients to make a hit record. You might have uh, the band, but you might have a producer, and then you've got various songwriters then you might have a sound engineer as well then you've got a mix down guy <laughs> as well or, yeah. or, or whatever you know so you really gotta yeah do do some research research is good reading is good research yeah, yeah. i think it's like you said keeping keeping yourself up to date with uh technology new techniques what's happening in the world and life lessons are probably the best isn't it to be inspired from life on its own oh definitely i mean i mean i'm a hopeless Hopeless romantic at oh. heart. <laughs> um, you know, that's why I love a love, love song because I love cliches because they all actually make sense in the end. Yeah. Really so allow your own life experience to affect how you write. Put it, add it to your music, add it as part of the ingredients. Yeah. Let it tell that story, whether it's yeah. anger, whether it's happiness, joy, disappointment, put it all in. And so, um, you know, we're going through this COVID season and people are out of jobs and like they're frustrated and like so many things are happening. And obviously I've had three months of illness myself and just come back stronger, but healthier and touch wood. Um, we, we, when we had our last conversation, 
I was so intrigued um, because I was like, oh, I couldn't sleep for the last few days or, you know, I was having some difficulty just because of um, just the pain in my body. And um, and I want to tell everybody about how a music producer from all of what we've talked about has gone into a completely different area. I want you to talk about how you've created music for sleep and um, for adults and, you know, babies. Let's talk about that. How did you come about that? Well, that was that was a funny thing. It was com- by complete accident. I'll be really honest. By complete accident, yeah. um, there's a young gentleman we work with who works for a digital distribution company, and he looked at the the trends that were going on um, in the digital stream world. Obviously, you get the biggest players like the R and B world and everything else, and those artists. But he really noticed that sleep therapy music or sounds was really really developing. Yeah. We're talking from like 150,000 streams a day to 100,000 to 200,000 streams a day. Let me just like point out, sleep therapy music is actually music created to help one sleep. Generally, right? yeah. It start, yes, it started with um, helping young babies sleep. So we did right. a little research and we, sound, we, we, we found out that there are certain sounds that babies hear that makes them feel calm. Yeah. And those are noises like brown noise, because when they're in the womb or when they're at a certain age, that's all they can hear is brown noise or white noise or gray noise or pink noise. Oh. Or just certain squelching sounds or just and warmth. If you can imagine what the sound of warmth is. Yeah. And complete comfort and complete serenity. Yes not be something that sounds completely pleasing as such but it really really works now there are different frequencies that different ways different kilohertz yeah. that can different things that can affect your mind in certain ways that can either cut things out or that can tune into a certain part of your brain that helps you to sleep mm, interesting so one of our biggest tracks that we did is the sound of i think sound of the mother's womb yeah or heartbeat, and of her saying shh to a child. Yeah. Now. <laughs> no, you know what? I'm not, I'm, I'm laughing because it's just, it's made me think of something. So Barbara, my sister, you know, that yeah. her, when she was pregnant, she uh, listened to this, she'd watched a drama, like this like kind of Indian dramas with my mom. Mm-hmm. And I, we, I remember we were all sitting there. So she's about what, six months old or something. And the same drama on TV is playing, right? So all of a sudden, Maria's uh, head turns towards the TV and, and she completely identifies with that music. Like she knows it. Like she, she knows that drama that we were watching. And it was, so, it was so weird because she's made that connection. And where did she? Because literally, Barbara used to watch that drama when she was pregnant and had so much time on her hands to Maria after she's popped out and six months later she's identified with that music she recognized it straight away so it's fascinating isn't it what goes on you know in that production of nine months and in the womb can really influence uh you know the baby oh definitely definitely and I think with you know there's a lot of um there's a lot of young couples who have perhaps both have really uh, you know really professional jobs, good jobs, and they're really both really busy. Mother's taken time off. She's had this child. She's gone through nine months. She's got some a maternity leave. But then there's a time, there's a, there's a window where par- both parents are at home. 
and they've yeah. got this child. Someone needs to sleep. Someone needs to go to work. Certain things aren't working. This, this is modern living we're talking about here. Not a lot of people live with family, so you can't necessarily have family. Yeah, there's no joint family system anymore. Or, yeah. System has completely changed. So they need certain things to help their child to sleep. Now, they don't want to just give them something to help them sleep. You know, it, it's possibly quite a frustrating thing. So certain th- sounds on Spotify are helping these children sleep. It could be waves. It could be the sound of fire. But the sound of a mother's saying shh to the child often really, really works. So this has been such an amazing thing. I mean, we've written, um, we're called Silent Nights. We've written over 200 albums. Now, it it can be from white noise to the sound of a tumble dryer to the sound of aircon unit. Really? <laughs> air condition unit has that hum. That's really. right. That background, that kind of like, yeah, simmering. Yeah. And it's that warm simmering sound, exactly that, or the sound of, um, of a cabin when you're having a long haul flight, you've got that constant sound just going oh, yeah. and mm-hmm. that can really drift you off to the sound of uh, someone being at the beach, to the sound of water, to the sound of a fountain, birds. There's lots of different things that can either help you concentrate to do work or to help you sleep or relax or just to forget about the world and just zone out for a while. And you could be in a, a tower block and you can't escape anywhere, so you'd want to picture something. So you want to picture a scene. And sound often can do that because it can evoke all those different emotions. Absolutely. So many albums because we do four a month each. Because there's so many different things and there's so many different types of people. Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, um, like I said, uh, culturally different, you know, yes. audience are different, ages are different. Um, but I, I, I can I listen to something, was it The Desert? Um... Oh, yes. That's for another project we've got called Night Moods. Yeah, Night Moods. That's was it. That's a nice one. I was listening to that because I literally couldn't sleep and I put that on. I was like, oh, actually, it really does help. I know, you know, for meditation, there's different kind of music that yeah. they use um, just to calm the mind and when you're meditating. But definitely for sleep, I think I would definitely recommend everyone to just download Silent Nights because it was it really fantastic tracks. Honestly, it really creates that serenity. Yeah, and I appreciate that because there are some things that aren't for everybody, definitely, which is why we've written so many of them, which yeah. is why we started Night Moods as well, which is more of a musical kind of thing, more of a cinematic thing that can paint more pictures as opposed to sounds, which is more what Silent Nights does. So, And, and also Sleepin' as well. There's another thing called Sleepin', S-L-E-E-P-N, yeah. which is more ambient stuff as well created. So there's, there's, there's so many areas, and we've, we've gotten into doing this, because again, I go back to we are producers, so we produce. We're not That's stuck. Brilliant. In the thing. Like the, the the journey that you've had, and then you've come all the way to sleep. I mean, it's brilliant. I mean, it's what um, it's basically you're fulfilling a need, right? You're you're helping people um, through music. I I think DNA. Uh, I have a, a musical DNA gene as well, and I love it. And I think if you really appreciate music, you will understand that you can go from DJing from you know in Tokyo uh right up to uh, having produced music for sleep I mean that that shows your creativity and the fact that there are no boundaries the fact that you have such freedom to do what you want um and it's it's all in the mind whatever you feel and uh, conceive can can happen Oh, definitely. And I think it comes with age as well, because um, with different age comes different experience and different scenarios. So that can also add to it and a different level of maturity. 
in the music as well. I think I'm a lot more musical now. Yeah. And a lot motive without actual lyrics. There's a quote by uh, Winston Churchill and he said that in order to write about life you must live it first. And I think that um a lot of I see a lot of young people kind of giving advice and doing things and they they I think you have to live life. Enjoy your life and live it. Do not preempt it. You're growing up too fast and you need to kind of enjoy the moment, enjoy the years that you have and don't grow up too fast. Yeah, I'm I've definitely I mean I sp- <laughs> I still think of myself if I can use the term as new bulls in the in the business and in the game and yeah. in music because I'm I'm still um I mean I'm under 50 years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might add. And um I've still there got There's no age in music. There's no age in music. I've still no, got No, there's no age. Honestly, when I put music on in the morning, I've got to like it activates me. So I do about mm, 10 15 minutes of real kind of mad cardio crazy workout and then I'm all right for the day and then honestly music for me kind of activates the soul definitely it is the impetus to a lot of things without a doubt and i actually think my my ears are actually more open Sci- scientists may disagree with that or doctors rather but i actually feel like my my ears are actually getting better they improve you think no you're technically trained now yeah and they, have, they, have, they filter things different. I can get to certain points quicker. And I can actually, I don't like to write um, music by numbers, but I'm also, I'm doing things really in an automatic way. Yeah. But yeah. still not being stuck in a, in a certain way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So where do you see yourself in the next five years? Five years? Um, you interviewing me in five years? <laughs> <laughs> I will, <laughs> definitely. I'm going to have you back as a mentor. I'm definitely going to start the, the mentoring again. But, uh, you know, I, I do believe that experience really counts. And, um, you know, and not just experience, experience from good people who know the industry, who really learned from the bottom way up, you know, so. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I did a, co- um, a talk at the London College of Music. Um, it's about a couple of years ago and it was for second or third year students who are more writers and creators and it was a funny thing because a lot of them are even the age of 22 to like 35 right and there's 10 or 15 of them in a class and I'm standing at the front there I'd never done it before and I've got a computer and a projector and the teacher is just looking at me and says right go for two hours yeah two hours wow so it I'm not TED talk. <laughs> yeah, it's a TED talk, but I wasn't I wasn't asked to sell myself or sell my product or anything. Yeah. Like but just to it, just to talk about my experience and what I've I'm been doing and not necessarily saying, oh, this is what you have to do. Yeah, yeah. And I think that just becomes easier, isn't it? You're just telling your life story. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the biggest challenges for most people is translation. I find with a lot of people, they don't really know how to explain how they feel mm. or in their head communicate to, that oh, yeah. communicate the frustrate it's a frustrating thing and that's a big barrier especially in music and in life as well and i think a young a lot of younger people need help with communicating and i think music is one of those mediums that can do that absolutely you know what recently uh, rob i've just joined tiktok i find it's so creative it's you know young people have taken something and okay you've 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 uh, combined dance music sound 
would there's some you know some advice out there there's some help on health and training and, and getting your body fit but it's such a massive platform for creativity and that is why I like it and a lot of people are like oh just making these TikTok videos which I think can consume a lot of time if you're really abusing the time and not kind of keeping it in moderation I find it such a great platform for creativity the amount of things that they do on that it's just fantastic it can be it can be it can be especially in such a short it 15 or 20 seconds is it a, yeah yeah 15 seconds yeah yeah or you so, can do a minute or you can do it to a minute as well depending yeah. if it's sound or if it's just a video okay so because it could almost be like a powerpoint kind of presentation type of thing but in such absolutely a you're kind of doing self-promotion isn't it it's kind of you're you're, you're telling the world who you are in that in that moment you'll be able to do that and so in that respect it can help but it can, there's a lot of also a lot of following on there as well and there's also a lot of pressuring on there but that's, that's another story i guess but yeah. yeah in that respect of it yeah definitely i think it is showing a lot of on a positive uh, note it, yeah it shows you know passion it shows passion definitely yeah, it definitely does. So I f- forgot what I asked you. So where are you going to be in five years when you've obviously given these talks and stuff? So we've gone for, actually, but what happened to the talk? You see, this is what happens, creative minds. We talk talk too much. What happened after that talk and how did you feel? Well, I felt, I felt exhausted. I'll be really honest with you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I couldn't be a teacher. I'll be really honest. I couldn't actually stand up in a classroom for, was it, eight hours a day yeah. and teach a syllabus because it is actually quite exhausting. Yeah. I, they weren't necessarily asking a lot of questions, but they were really intrigued to know about my experience. Yeah. And then I, I asked them afterwards, because there's different age, age groups and different cultures and people from different countries or, or in the classroom and everything as well. Um, I, I also found it very... Well, I enjoyed it. I actually... Yeah. Enjoy it actually because it's it's giving. If you've got information, I believe information should be free. Yes. If you have information, you should be able to pass it on to someone else without them paying for it. Whether you're making them feel that they can't do something because they they feel inadequate because they don't know that thing, or them feeling not being able to understand what you're saying. If you've got something, you should be able to convey that to somebody else so they can pass it on to somebody else with truth. Yeah, so truth and it's kind of kind of also passing on I guess a little bit of your legacy as well isn't it that you're passing on some information that will help somebody else kind of remix it for the next generation definitely I love the term remix I love that um and to go back to where I see myself in five years I'm getting into more visual stuff like film Mm. like film I'm working on a project at the moment um I'm also working with a photographer in New York uh her name is Singh she's from Denmark and she just Sing, before, that's such an appropriate appropriate name <laughs> it's quite funny. she's a photographer but she's known for making um uh, for photographing restaurants she works for restaurateurs <laughs> taking pictures of all their food and lots yeah. of amazing but just before covid so she's actually had obviously had to stop doing that yeah so we were work, we're working hopefully we can get back to it working on a project where she's taken lots of photos of different landscapes in new york during winter so they're all quite gray and quite industrial but they're all quite dark but you can imagine or tell that they need some kind of musical accompaniment. yeah yeah absolutely new york's lovely and um like that uh, it's quite like that and it's, 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 it's creating that mood definitely yeah almost like a blade runner type thing so we've done we've done one uh video already 
I, we haven't named the project as yet, and it's on YouTube, but we haven't actually allowed it to be public as yet because we want to do more. But since COVID, there's been a little bit of a pause on that. But I'm working on another project, which I'm trying to do, which is an animated thing. And that involves lots of different artists, well, music, musical artists, to tell a story about where they feel they come from by the musical medium and then attach a short story to that. I love it. Fantastic. So, so who else is involved in that, or can't you say? Well, I'll be okay. honest. At the moment, I've, sp- I've spoken to a few people and I've had some yeses. Then we're now going, then there was COVID, and then we're obviously going through management as well in time. Yeah. I've spoken to Idris. I've spoken to an artist called Jamie Jones. That's Idris Elba, that is. I've yeah. spoken to Black Coffee. I've spoken to an artist called Honey Dijon. And I've also, I want to uh, speak to uh, lots of different artists. I want to speak to uh, younger artists as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if anybody's listening, what would you, uh, what would you say to them? I'll keep trying. <laughs> and do your research. Well, I'm, I've, I've been given homework from an animator to, to put together my, I've got my story already, but I have to do some kind of storyboard to go with that story. Otherwise, it just sounds like a good idea. It's, it's all good and well having an idea, but you need to have the way to back it up. Yeah. Where do you think music's going for the future? I think, I think music goes in circles. I mean, there was a, a point in time where, say, drum and bass, I'll use that as an example. You, yeah. you see that on TV, on every single program, on co- a commercial, and it was used... I'm trying to think of a, um, a term to use. It was used and used and used to the point of where it kind of almost fell out of the scene and went back underground mm. because perhaps it was used in such commercial entity. And then there was dance music, which was used to so many TV commercials and everything else. And then that kind of got pushed back into the, into the background again. Mm. So I think music is definitely going to be, it's going to move forward more involved with music, involved with fashion, more involved with TV, more involved with film, but they, I think they're going to be balanced. It's not going to be a film and then it's, oh, there's a soundtrack. Right, think, okay. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. where they use the... Because the, sometimes you get a visual production and then you write the music after it. Yeah. And that might get music and then you have to do the visual after that as well. I mean, I think there's going to be more of a marriage where they're going to sit side by side more as opposed to just music backing up. Fitting in, yeah, fitting in the background. Yeah. Oh, I see. But I could be completely wrong and I'm quite happy to be wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's nice to predict where music's going to go or what do you see with, you know, with technology and such new uh, creatives out there that are just kind of, you know, doing such amazing things when I look at it. And I just, uh, that's my inspiration. I see other people, I think, wow, you know what? It's just, it sounds good. It looks good, you know, and it's the same with fashion. I think fashion also moves in cycles as well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's of a connection, I think, with music, because yeah. unless you're writing music down, you can't necessarily feel or touch it. Yeah. I think it'd be more of a, a connection with installed right inside us musically where we can close our eyes and it might be a device that's connected to us so we can actually actually see this music in our heads and i think we're really going to be connected more more so so i want you to tell me uh your definition or yeah so tell me what is music in one word life thank you so much thank you for coming on the podcast we haven't chatted for absolutely years and I'm so happy, even though you're one of my dearest friends, 
And sometimes you don't need to be talking to somebody every single day. But I'm so um, delighted and honored that you came on the podcast and shared your experience to help other young creatives and develop their musical careers and whatever genre they do or whatever that takes them. But they're definitely, you know, music has movement. It will move you into some direction somewhere. So you've got to start start getting musical, everybody. Start enjoying the music around you. Start making music, learning music, being educated in music. And I want to thank Rob for coming on the show and really um, sharing his experience and his knowledge with us. Thank you so much, Rob. No problem. Thank you for having me. All right, honey. Take care. Yeah, lots of love. All right. Take, take care. care. Bye. Take care now.